Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Craig Doyle and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. On this week's show, we welcomed England legend Mike Tyndall, Wales captain Sam Warburton, and we spoke with Scotland star Grant Gilchrist following New Zealand's stunning Rugby World Cup final win over Australia. Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insight and analysis from Brian O'Driscoll, Ugo Manya, and our studio guests. So, how are you? You've had time to just kind of relax and cool down and reflect a bit on the World Cup. And did you enjoy the final? Did you watch it? Yeah, I did. Um, I had a couple of weeks off, which has been quite nice. I was in bits after the South Africa game. Um, watched the game out on holiday. So, I saw, missed the first half, saw the second half. And um, I'm glad Australia came back and made a good game of it, but it was a cracker final in the end. Yeah, it was a good final, boys, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a great final. I think, you know, a lot of the time you see finals, they're kind of chess matches and teams don't want to concede, so they don't tend to attack. But with those two teams, they really went after it. And I suppose the sin binning really made a game of it. Yeah, absolutely. When New Zealand were dominant, they show their composure and their world class. But it's 20 degrees in November. We expected to see flow flow rugby and that's exactly what we got. Can I just say thanks so much for coming out because I know you've got a busy schedule you're doing a lot of puppet shows at the moment. <laughs> Look at that. A bit coming, of special colour, lads. Coming from the geography picture. We're going to get our geography lesson. You just talk to us through your hands tonight, OK? We have to talk a little bit about Dan Carter, I guess. 19 points and it was such a fitting swan song for him, Sam, wasn't it? I think, was it the third time he's won World Player of the Year? And it's a nice way for a player who's been such a legend of the game. And, you know, I played against him, which has been a privilege. And, um, you know, to win a World Cup, have that many caps, and, and um, especially what, after what he went through in 2011 as well, it's almost like it's just reward, really. So we're really pleased for him. Is he one of, if not the most illustrious player of, of the pro era? Yeah, I think he's got a complete game. I mean, we talk about his goal-kicking, he's big in defence, fantastic runner of the ball. Um, second World Cup, it's amazing that. It was actually Saturday was the first time playing a World Cup final. As Sam just said, a fitting end to what has been a marvellous career. One of the great things he does, and Brian, in fairness, you did it in your career so many times, I think of that try against Wales, Brian took it on against England, Brian took it on, scored the try five metres out, taking control, momentum changers. And Dan Cotter did that a couple of times over the World Cup. The drop goals, key moments, key three-pointers. We saw it again in the final. Yeah, just that calming influence. I think your leaders really step up to the plate when you need them. And just when Australia were coming back into the game, it needed a calm head. You know, nothing was really on, and he just knocked three points over, kept the court score. 
scoreboard ticking over and just kept them nudging in front. It just he seems to have so much time on the ball, and that's the, that's a real um, you know, sign of a, of a quality player that it's it's all effortless. You know, he decides to knock over three. Yeah, I'll pick three. You know, it's easy for him. Yeah, some player, isn't he? Um, how about Sonny Bill? We loved that moment. We Fantastic did like moment, that moment a lot. Um, what would you have done in that situation? Would you have handed <laughs> you over your, your, your medal, boys? I mean, you know, we're all celebrating it, but, you know, would you...? Um, I like to have a generous guy, but I wouldn't give my World Cup medal. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, what do you think, Brian? Listen, I wouldn't have been handing it out, but, you know, it was, it was um, you know, I suppose when you've got two of them, it's easier to do it, but, um, you know, it was, a, it was a phenomenal gesture, and Rugby World put it right, you know, um, giving him a second one last night at the awards, and he's a very humble guy, and uh, it was a nice touch, I think it speaks volumes for rugby. It does, and he said, didn't he, where, where would I put, like, another medal? Where, where, out of interest, where are all your medals, uh. and... If I had a World Cup medal, it would okay. be hanging around my neck <laughs> every day of the week. Let's have a Grand Slam. Where is your memorabilia? It's at home. There's, well, a, there's a little section at home. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not very big. But, uh, there's, yeah, we've got there's one or two in there. there. Is that two. the ballroom? Yeah. <laughs> East ballroom. <laughs> um, shall we talk about Wales and Wales World Cup? Uh, you know, you were bedeviled by injuries, Sam. You know, you've you got to look at how you went with the context of all those injuries. Ten injuries from frontline players from prep day up until that, that quarter-final, was it? Uh, I can't believe, you know, you're, you know, going to World Cup, the chances are you're going to get two or three. Uh, to have eight, nine or ten, you know, going back to John Davis when he got injured playing for Claremont at the end of last season, you just don't expect that to happen. But it's nice to know that we did call on players who came into, you know, huge, you know, really high-profile games, managed to play really well. And it's always a what-if question with Wales, obviously four years ago. It's what if Adam Jones didn't go off with a bad calf and the red card, and this year is going to be talking about what if it wasn't for the injuries. Um, so hopefully in four years, it is a little bit. Players. But uh, I think we were quite lucky in the sense that I think you're better losing injuries in the back line than a forward pack. I think we were fortunate that we could go all five games and pretty much pick a full-strength forward pack, and you really need that unity up front, so I think that was good for us. I I'm just wondering, what does it feel like? Is it seemingly, I was interviewing you or, or Warren after almost every game, whether it be the, the warm-ups or, or the first couple of games in, in the World Cup, and there was added injuries and then more added injuries. What's it like, you know, the day after when there's kind of um, more bad news <clears throat> on top of more bad news? Well, the, the, you know, the boys will tell you, you're used to dealing with injuries. You know, guys get injured all the time playing rugby, but it's just the timing of it, you know, being in a World Cup and it was literally every game. So we were chopping and changing the centre partnership um, and Brian will probably tell you how important it is, you know, to get that going. So um, it was a little bit disrupted, but we really didn't let it bother us at all. You know, you feel sorry for the guys personally because you know what they've been through. It was a gruelling summer for all the teams and for us as well. Um, so you just feel sorry for them personally more than anything. What's it like though on the pitch when you see one of your guys go down and the little um, cart comes on and you know it's done and dusted? Yeah, it's bad because, you know, the rugby lads, they're all tough lads. And if they stay down, you know it's going to be a lengthy injury. Very rarely would a player stay down and get stretched off and he's going to have a one or two week strain. You know, you know it's... It's going to be bad. And that's the thing with the Welsh boys. They didn't just have, you know, grade one calf tweaks. You know, they were full-on shoulder dislocations, knee ligaments, ankle ligaments. And you just couldn't believe, you know, the bad luck they're having. So you want to know that they're OK personally. And after that, then, you know, it's, um, you've got to look at the bigger picture then. It's funny. Sean Edwards, I remember, in, in Lions, um, had, a, had a line that you'd want to have a broken leg not to be back in my defensive line. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it was a few of those injuries. But it was quite remarkable, particularly that England game, being able to deal with three backs injuries in, in six or seven minutes and still be able to conjure a try of that quality at the end of the game is kind of a testament to the mental attitude of the team and also the, you know, the strength and depth of the squad. Can I yeah. repeat what you said about Wales, if they're all fully fit? Do you want to say it out loud? 
I'll let you do it. It hurts too much. It hurts too much. Okay, no, I genuinely believe that they, they absolutely could have been World Cup finalists uh, had, had they a, a full side to, to pick from. Um, John Davis was a big loss. Um, phenomenal player. And you know, Dan Bigger took over from, from Lee Halfpenny from the kicking duties. Uh, but losing Liam Williams, Scott Williams, um, even Reese Webb, you know, um, these guys, you put them into the mix and you, I think you've got an, an even better Welsh team on the one that we saw and that was a pretty impressive uh, group of performers. Oh, I wish Austin was here now to hear you say that. I really, <laughs> really do. We've discussed this quite a lot, haven't we, on rugby tonight, but, but Sam, I mean, you're a pretty good place to answer it. Um, do you think that this current All Black side is the best ever? It's always, um, it's hard to compare, you know, generations, but I think the All Blacks, everyone knows historically they're the number one nation in the world. I do think even for their standards, this team has got to be, has surely got to be one of the best teams they've ever had. You know, winning two World Cups in a row is so tough. Um, it's got to give them a huge amount of admiration for that. Hugo? Yeah, I think so. They're not just the best team in the world. You, I mean, in, in anything, football, rugby, tiddlywinks, cricket, in <laughs> ice hockey, they are the best sports team ever. You talk about their win ratio, you think about some of the legends that are leaving the game and to do something which no one's ever done before, probably got to be the greatest, right? Just yeah. notice you're wearing a baseball hat on live TV and it, and it dressed really smartly with a baseball hat on. Well, this is my smart casual look. OK, I like it. What have you got <laughs> <You're> working <laughs> it. Yeah, right. um, are you going to clear the pitch and give us a bit of a demo, Brian? Yeah, yeah, we are. Come with me, Wolves. Uh, what we're going to talk about is, um, you know, one of the talking points from the World Cup uh, was that Australian back row. Um, you played against him in the pool stages, um, but there was a lot of hype talk with, you know, Pocock and, and Hooper but also Scott Fardy. He was remarkable in the World Cup. What do you do in the week of, of an international when you know the threats that are coming at you? How do you try and counteract that? Yeah, I guess um, I remember me and Justin were playing at that time and we, our focus was just we got to win so much ball. And I think between us we might have hit 70 to 80 rucks just to try and nullify Pocock Hooper. And Fardy, who was an unsung hero, doing the in Australia, he was brilliant over the ball for them, didn't get enough credit. And David Pocock, I think that you've got 26 turnovers as a, as, a, as a back row, and he got 17 himself. Unlucky probably to lose out to Dan Carter as World Player of the Year. Um, but what we might do is, you can see in the background, Hooper's the guy uh, looking as though he's, he's about to pinch this ball off Sonny Williams. He only got a couple of turnovers, but um, we're, we're going to try and show a demonstration for one of the best guys uh, at pilfering ball, not only you know, drawing penalties, but also turning the ball over. And that's the special thing about David Pocock. He's not happy just actually, you know, locking down and getting the penalties he wants to turn the ball over because now attacking ball on turnovers is some of the best ball you can get yeah i think um getting in position is the first thing so you you watch guys like david or michael hooper they watch a tackle being fall maybe two or three men away from them and you'll see them just hovering in the background waiting for that tackled player to fall Let, let's let's just uh, show show people what we're uh, what we're talking about so um what, what, what are we looking at uh, here from a, from a defensive point of view? If you know, your teammate has, yeah. has made the tackle. Uh, so as I'm approaching, you probably make your decision within two or three metres of the ruck, you know. You, you probably make it that early. If they're three or four yards away from the ruck, you know that you've got a straight sweep in um, and you get down on that ball as quick as you can. If they're a little bit closer again, 
you're thinking, right, you can probably get through even a three-second jackal and then release it after the ref's told you. That's still a win, yep. slowing the ball down by three seconds. If they're tighter again, you're probably just going to read it completely off and you're going to get in the defensive line for the next phase. Either barge through or bounce. You might counter up. And what it. about this guy? So yourself and Dan Lydiate are a bit of a you know, dynamic duo. Dan Lydiate, the chop master general, and then you're, you're straight in on the ball. So what can he do within the letter of the law, not irritating referees yeah. and, and giving away silly penalties? Yeah. Obviously, very fine line with this, but obviously the tackle player, not just the effectiveness of the tackle, what he does after it. So if he makes the tackle and he just stays on there for two or three seconds, probably two seconds max, if he then rolls away, that just allows me to have that time on the ball. And the cleaners who come in as he's lying in front of that ball, it just messes up their foot placements. So they can't get a good clean and he just buys that one vital second to get on the ball. And the Southern Hemisphere sides are very good at that. I just want to talk about Sam Burgess. A lot of people have a lot to say over the past few weeks about it. Just to kind of bring everyone up to scratch on what's happening. There's been rumours about him returning to rugby league from the day he arrived here, because I think in Australia they really, really miss him. Don't forget his brothers are there, his mum is there as well. Of course, after the World Cup, it's, the rumours just got stronger and stronger. There's rumours that representatives from the Rabbitohs, his old club, possibly his new club again, have been over looking for a way out for him. Just rumours at the moment. I haven't spotted any of them. I don't know if you have. Um, his brother has got involved and he said, you know, Sam is at a bit of a crossroads in his career. He feels he's been treated quite harshly and he's kind of kind of look at things a little bit. Uh, it's difficult. I think he said, he said he's at a bit of a crossroads is mm. interesting. It must mean the conversations are happening. And then there was something yesterday that felt a bit yeah. more solid. Sorry. I mean, the Press Association released a tweet yesterday afternoon and, and they don't release tweets, I don't think, unless there's something to it, do they? So let's have a look at the, at the tweet that was released. Full story. Um, and Sam Burgess tells ex-teammates he's going back to league. Ugo, let's start with you. What's your take on it all? Um, well, first of all, I think there's a bit of misplaced anger and hatred towards him. I think people are blaming him for the demise of England rugby team. Uh, certainly not one man, it's certainly not him. We're selfish as rugby players, as sportsmen. You get an opportunity to play in a World Cup and a home World Cup, you certainly take it, regardless how long you've been in the game. I feel rugby unions let him down. Bath took him under his wing, played him at six, and he effectively had a pre-season to learn how to play centre. And Drico, you played for a long time. It takes a bit longer than that to actually get into it. They're obviously in a bit of a quandary at the moment with Bath. I mean, they've, they've invested a lot, of, you know, a lot of money into it, all within the salary cap. Allegedly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, they, they've, they've got a bit of a crisis. He's away. They need to get their boys back. But if I was him taking a load of abuse from Rugby Union, I wouldn't mind going back to Australia. A lot of people are using this uh, as a stick to beat Stuart Lancaster with. But it is interesting that Mike Ford, very good coach, very knowledgeable coach, brought him in as a 12, but soon turned him into a 6, saw him as a 6. Yet England's persisted with him as a 12, when there are other 12s out there in the Premiership who would have deserved a place, you know. And... That is a, a, a real argument. You, you can yeah, see that. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, a lot of people say they feel sorry for Sam. Well, you know, I never played in a World Cup and no one feels sorry for me. Um, you know, he had a great opportunity. <laughs> the, 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 the people I feel sorry for are uh, Carl Eastman at 12, the most creative 12 in the Premiership who didn't go to a World Cup, and more importantly, Luther Burrell. Luther's committed his whole life to trying to get to World Cup, and we might be in a situation where someone's come in for nine months and now jetting back to Australia. Brian, it's... what's your take on it? Is he a master of his own destiny, or has he just had some bad advice? And... He is because he can he can call the shots now. You know, he's a he's a, a good enough player. You know, coming from league to you know call it as he wants to. He's two options. He can probably you know I, th I think centres in, in the UK and Ireland, you know, past and present, were all saying that this guy is a six. He's a back rower. 
Um, and then Bath played them there, you know, to the end of, of the season, played in the Premiership final in May. And then, as Hugo said, he had the summer to learn how to play centre, and particularly to defend at centre. Now, his alternative option is, you know, to fight and, and stay for a year and a half and learn the trades as a number six, which he's very capable of doing, or he can go back to a role that he's totally comfortable, totally at ease with, in an environment that he loved, with his family. It kind of seems like a no-brainer to me. Um, we'll have to wait. In the next couple of days are going to tell a huge amount. Um, you know, but the sunny, um, you know, the sunny coast of, uh, of Sydney, you know, would be a little bit of a lure if I was Lambert. Because yeah, you take the sun so well, Brian. <laughs> I should point out that it was a bad training today. He has been named in the 41-man European squad. Let's just see what happens. Kenneth Shepherd is here from Rugby Aid with a massive check in many, many ways. Kenneth, bring it in. <laughs> so, Mike, uh, where's the money going? 150 grand. Yeah, well, it's going to obviously to um, Rugby Heroes to fund their uh, rugby, uh, transition through rugby program. Then we've got uh, Veteran Aid. We've got Future for Heroes. We've got Hire a Hero, and we've got the On Course Foundation. They're all going to benefit from this money moving forward. Fantastic. And we've got Spike here, who's the military liaison officer for the charity um, Rugby for Heroes. Oh, Hi, Spike. Um, just, just tell us if you can. Um, you know, what, what, what good does this money do for, for servicemen and servicewomen? Uh, well, first of all, I'm delighted to say that the trustees for the charity have uh, approved uh, seventy thousand pounds worth uh, of grants over the weekend. Uh, and Hire a Hero are going to get £15,000, going to assist 150 servicemen and women uh, with uh, employment opportunities and housing. I know that the Veterans Aid have got a new hospice, uh, a new Belvedere house, and we're going to help refurbish a room uh, at the cost of about £25,000. The On Course Foundation are going to help over about 300 guys and, uh, and women through networking and employment opportunities through the support of golf. And the future for Hero is going to help about, uh, you know, they, they do bespoke transition courses as well. So, you know, fantastic. the money's going to be put in some really good use. Good stuff. Good. That is fantastic. Yeah, congratulations. Um, let's not talk about England and the World Cup. Let's look ahead to the Six Nations, <laughs> shall we? That's what we do now. I know it's a while away, Mike, but I'm interested in your take on what you would do with that England backline. Even now in the early days of the Premiership's return, we're seeing guys putting their hands up going, hang on, you missed me out first time. You're not going to miss me out come February. Yeah, I think you saw that straight away. Um, you can see that Luther Burrell first weekend was playing for something. He proved a point, and I think that's that's what what it's there for now. You're out there to prove that you you should have been there. The the selection was is always a talking point. So you want to put your hand up now and go, look, well you did get it wrong. Look, pick me, pick me, sort of thing. Um, uh, I think it's great to have the Premiership back and everyone focusing back on it, and we'll just see how it goes. Obviously, there's a lot of things to go on behind the scenes at England Rugby in terms of getting the coaching sorted and, and get this review out of the way and then we can just solely concentrate on the Six Nations. Sam, what backline would the Welsh fear the most? What England backline would the Welsh fear the most? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> <laughs> Let's everyone just take a seat. <laughs> <laughs> you have to ask the backs, yeah. Um, I, don't, they got, I look at England, I think they've, they've got such a big player pool. Um, like they showed that when they came to Cardiff in February. They had injuries then, they came to the Millennium. Um, and they beat us, you know, and they, I think there's a, quite a few combinations they could pick there. It, I think it just depends on what style of play they go for, you know. I think, you know, when you, when you pick a team, you pick a team based on, on your style of play and what you want to get out of the game, not necessarily the opposition. You know, you want to play to your strengths, I think. So it depends what game plan they choose, whether they want to sort of batter it up front. 
go for gain line um, or whether they want to go expansive. Really. What do you but, not want um, as a Wales player? What do you not want to play? I find it personally difficult. You know, when you're playing against sides who are very creative in the back line, um, I find that personally more difficult. So we're talking about Kyle Eastman, we're talking about Jonathan Joseph, we're talking about Luther Burrell, we're talking about these guys. You still need your guy to get your gain line, um, but I think in general, you know, I think the teams like Australia, uh, New Zealand, you know, if you do an analysis, they're the most difficult teams to play against. I think if anything we learned from the World Cup is how England played in the Six Nations, scoring 18 tries, is how they should have gone forward into that, into that World Cup and how they wanted to play. Then you watch the World Cup games and how you saw the likes of Argentina who just left everything on the field, chanced their arm, played their brand of rugby that they were happy to play. Even when they lost, people were so happy to watch them. I think that's something England's got to walk away, walk away from and not worry about what, how they think they should attack another team, but just going out there and putting what they believe in on the field and, and that will get the fans behind them as well. Play like New Zealand. It's easy, Simple. isn't it? Simple. <laughs> Never copy anyone. And <laughs> <laughs> certainly play like a New Zealand uh, centres, Brian. Yeah, well, we saw one of the real cracking tries of. of uh, I'm going to bo borrow tins for this. We're going to do a quick demo of what happened in the. With Ma Nanu, uh, you know, a couple of minutes into the second half of the final, uh, he had a remarkable try, one that we'll remember for a very long time. And, you know, uh, Sonny Bill Williams has gotten an awful lot of airtime for his huge gesture, uh, you know, 48 hours ago, less than 48 hours ago. But what he also did all World Cup was he was king offloader. And he had two magnificent offloads within the first 90 seconds, the second of which led to Man on his try. And we're going to demo that really quickly. So we've got Connor, who's our closest lookalike <laughs> to, um, <laughs> to, Sonny to, to Sonny Bill. As you see, physically the same. So in this case, we're going to have Tins playing Man Anu. Uh, Connor's going to play uh, Sonny Bill. And what he did brilliantly was he drew in three defenders. And if you actually look back on the footage, Man Anu thinks it's the one time he's not actually going to uh, be able to offload it. He's coming in to hit the rook, and the very last second, the ball pops out to, yeah. to him. The two defenders, it was uh, Stephen Moore yeah, and, and, and one of the other front row went around the corner as they should do defensively and so left a gaping hole here. Uh, Kepu was down on, on the ground and so it, yeah. you know, it was easy I th for Matt to I identify think, as it said, I think what sort of made it easier was the, the delay of the offload because he would have been held up for a couple of seconds. As you say, the forwards are doing their job around the corner. He gets a great offload away. Obviously, props can't get off the floor very quickly, which created a very nice hole for him some props behind me um, and you saw the turn of pace you saw the turn of pace from Marnonu to come in and then he's got a decision to make well do you know what so from an attacking point of view you're Ma what do you want the defender to do and what are you trying to make Curtly Beale do he's chasing hard across the pitch he knows he potentially could get done for speed so he's hard after him yeah, so what, you, what you'd be looking for as an attacker is, is his body and how his body shape is. Is he going full, full speed across the field, which basically means he's weak on your right shoulder to my left. And that's what Mar, <coughs> that's what Mar Nonu sees. Him going across, gives himself enough room to cut, and there's just no way that, uh, that Curtly Beale can stop himself. As you saw, he slipped over, and Mar Nonu then just shows his gas to take on Drew Mitchell. Let's swap the roles, and you play, I'll play Mar Nonu. What, as Curtly Beale, do you want to be doing in that role so to, well, you know, to well, negate said, him being able to step across to your weaker side? Is, he's, he's sort of sat 20 yards back, so what he has to do is close the space. Unfortunately, as you said, he's probably worrying about the foot race, so he goes on the, on the change. He's got to know that he's got Drew Mitchell on that inside, so he wants to put him down that corridor because they won't get, both of them won't miss him. They're world-class players, so he needs to go at... at at Mar Nonu, shut down his options, stop this. Also, with that, his body 
is is more of a straight line angle. So even if he does try to step in, he's got that he's got that way. But then he's also got that way. And Kurt Beale's not a slow man. So even if he takes that little bit of space and offers him there, he can still catch him. European rugby returns to BT Sport on Friday the 13th of November. Tigers, Saints, Leinster, Wasps and Bath all playing in the opening weekend. Plus Gloucester kick off the Challenge Cup against Zebra. So Sam, Challenge Cup for Cardiff this year. Tough old pool though. Calvisano in there, that's your first game up. And then you got Quinns and Montpellier, yeah. is it? Yeah. How it's... do you approach it? It's a tough pool. Um, great to play against the Quins. You know, it's um, you know obviously in, in Wales. You know, we perceive you know Harlequins as a top-flight um, English club, even though they're not in the Champions Cup. So, it'd be great to go to the Stoop and play a game there. Um, Calvisano, I don't know too much about, to be honest. In Montpellier, I've been out there before, and um, just always just big monster French packs that you come up against. So, tough pool for the Challenge Cup. So, um, exciting times for us at the Blues. Of course, winning the Challenge Cup this year gives you automatic entry into the Champions Cup next season. How much of a motivation is that now? Yeah, we, well, we definitely want to get into that sort of top flight rugby again. You know, when I came through at the Blues, um, you know, regularly quarterfinals, got to a semi-final, um, you know, of the top flight European competition. We want to get back to that level again and looking at some of the pools in the Champions Cup, you know, you've got Wasps, Leinster, Toulon, Bath, you know, that's exactly where you want to be as a club. It's amazing and the strength in that competition is outstanding. So, you know, that's where we definitely want to get to. Pool five, actually, in the Champions Cup exemplifies how tough this competition has become. Every single team in that pool are former winners of the competition. Who knows who's going to come out of it? It is incredibly tight, isn't it? Um, yeah, you know, even though I play against those guys and those teams, I, I wouldn't know who's going to win out of that group. You know, it's anyone's guess. But um, that's what I mean. The, the, the quality, I think, of the teams that we've got in Europe, you, know, you look at the top flight teams. Um, I'd, I'd love to see them play against, you know, against like a world sort of like a world club championship. I think they do so well. You know, the ties like Toulon, Leinster, they're at their best. I think you know when they're full strength, they go and they'll challenge. I think any club in world rugby. So it's such a strong competition to have. That would be good, wouldn't it? Scotland's little Grant Gilchrist has called in to join us. He was actually going to be here, wasn't he? Um, but bad weather conditions and cancelled flights put an end to all of that. So Grant was a part of Scotland's successful World Cup campaign, of course, only for it to end way too soon with an injury sustained against the USA. Evening, Grant. How are you going? Hi there. How are you doing? Good. Very well, thanks. It's foggy up there in Scotland, is it? You couldn't get on a flight? Yeah, well, I found it at 9 o'clock this morning. Um, yeah, so I was all set for coming down to see you guys, and then uh, all put an end to that. I was considering a train, but um, that didn't work out either, so oh. you've got Skype instead. <laughs> Modern technology. Uh, OK, first things first, how, um, how's the injury? Yeah, it's getting there. Uh, we're hoping to be back playing in uh, uh, two or three weeks, so um, yes, I've started my running, and uh, rehab seems to be going well, so touch wood, um, I'll get, some, uh, get back on the field for Edinburgh soon. I mean, you've had, you've had your run of injuries, fair play to you, but I mean, for it to happen during a World Cup, it must be absolutely devastating. Worst possible time. Yeah, it was tough to take. I, I just got back from my arm injury um, and time to, to obviously get into the World Cup squad and I was delighted to be in there. And, um, you know, I was just feeling like I was getting back to, to probably make good form for, for the games and then, you know, to get hit with our injuries, uh, tough to take. You know, I'll, I'll come back and, uh, yeah. There's not much to do now. <laughs> uh, Grant, uh, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Um, how are you feeling about uh, Craig Hubert these days? Have you calmed down? <laughs> all, all you Scots, uh, you've had time to reflect. I know a very uh, 
you know, you're very upset at the time, understandably so, but he's had a bit of a hard time too. What's your take on it now in the cold lighted day? Yeah, I think, well, looking back at the game in general, we're left with a, with a bit of taste in our mouth. It's, it's not really only on the refereeing decision. I think, you know, the game was in our own hands. We had two minutes to go. We had a, a kick to deal with um, and a line out to deal with. You know, we we're probably more disappointed that we didn't manage to, to deal with that and, and win the game. Um, hands out, obviously, when uh, you find out the decision is wrong, it's, it's tough to take. But you know, uh, that's rugby. You know, the referee can't, can't get every decision right, and uh, we we respect that. And you know, he's the one with a tough job. The important thing, I suppose, is to try and kind of park that and reflect on what was a really positive campaign for Scotland. Have you been able to do that? Yeah, I think guys will, will be able to do it. I think obviously the first first few weeks is, is tough. I mean, the um, the nature of it being such a disappointment, you know, being so close but yet losing out in, in the manner that we did, especially having put together, I thought, our best performance of the, of the tournament when it really mattered, which was in that knockout game. Um, but, you know, if, if we look forward to, you know, the Six Nations, we can hopefully take a lot of confidence from, from the way we played in the World Cup and, you know, build on that and, yeah, take it forward to, to um, being successful when it comes around. Yeah, for us as rugby fans, I think we all feel, you know, since Van Cotter joined you guys, it's almost like a new dawn for, for Scottish rugby. There's a belief there now, there's a confidence there. You've got strength in depth for the first time in a long time. And does it, does it feel like that for you as players? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great team to be part of. I think we've, we've got a lot of competition. You know, even just making the 31 squad was, was a massive challenge for for you know, most positions, which is great for Scottish rugby. I think the way that Vern's got us playing is is suited to, to the skill set of the players there. You know, we're playing a quick, fast-tempoed game and it's great fun to be involved in. And, you know, certainly looking forward, I think there's, there's things we can improve on, but certainly the the way that we're going is is exciting and, yeah, Vern's done a great job with us. A lot of young, talented guys coming through as well. I think, did Mark Bennett get nominated, Brian, for the Breakthrough Award at the World Rugby Awards last night? Finn Russell, lovely 10 as well. A lot of those missing pieces from the jigsaw look like they're almost in place. Are you sensing that now in camp? Yeah, definitely, I think. Um, you know, we've got a very dangerous back line and, and added to that, you know, a forward pack that can, can certainly mix it. So it's, it's a great time to be involved, I think. You know, um, a front row deserve a lot of credit from for the work they done in the World Cup. I mean, um, you know, the old uh, Edinburgh three of praise first because they're my mates. But um, the the yeah the set piece was good and and I think uh, you know looking on the back of that we're scoring tries which we hadn't done in the past. I mean our backline looks looks dangerous all the time. You know, guys like Bennett, Finn, Matt Scott. You know, we're, they're dangerous runners and uh, and Hoggy of course and. You know, it's, it's great to, to play in front of those guys and when they're making the breaks and scoring tries. Grant, we look forward to seeing you in action in the Six Nations. I uh, hope that injury heals up soon. And we'll leave you to uh, finish decorating that room. That <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of work. <laughs> Look, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Much appreciated. Uh, what a nice fella. All the best. Um, should we talk about Ireland? Let's. Should, should we do that? Uh, Brian, how do you think it went? Ultimately disappointing, of course. Um, you know, the only home nation, well documented, the only home nation to have never made a semi-final before. Um, it was very much uh, talked about at home. There was that high level of expectation off the back of two Six Nations victories um, in successive years. 
but ultimately, you know, we fell short. Um, you know, you look at the, the best teams in the world and it's strength, and strength of squad that really stands to them. And unfortunately, you know, we lost some key players and key leaders at, in that bruising encounter against France. And, you know, perhaps those players, albeit they've improved no end, that came in, aren't quite to the same calibre of player and maybe leader at the same time. You lose Paul O'Connell, you lose Johnny Sexton, you know, Jared Payne, Sean O'Brien, Pete O'Mahony, all in one go. You know, that's, a, that's, that's a lot uh, to take in, in, uh, in one go. So, um, unfortunately, you know, we have to wait for another four years to try and get rid of this hoodoo of no semi-final. Sam, I know Wales lost a lot of guys, but what Brian said there, losing leaders, losing talkers on the pitch, which felt like was lacking against Argentina at times. Uh, it's very hard to fix that, isn't it? Well, I've played, you know, with um, you know Sean O'Brien, Johnny Sexton, Paul O'Connell, and you know those are probably three guys um, who probably impressed me most, you know, out of, out of a lot of the guys on the Lions tour. I think Shawnee is, is definitely one of the best sevens in, in world rugby. I don't think there's anything he can't do. Um, Paulie is a, is a leader, you know, lineup operator, and Johnny, you know, he completely shocked me when I saw what he demanded from other players when I went into the Lions team and. The sort of standards that he set, um, you know, coming in from the outside, that you know, those three guys really impressed me. So even though people say you should have a squad, you know, that they're three frontline, top-class players, and, and any team's going to suffer with that. Right. What was the feeling like in, in Ireland? I mean, was there compassion towards the fact that you didn't have those players going into that game against Argentina, or, or was there, you know, a disappointment that still, you know, Argentina? We're beatable. I think a bit of both. I think probably compassion. I think everyone realised the calibre of player we lost and that you want your best players playing in knockout stages. And, and um, you know, there were, you know, obviously, you know, when you, when you lose Johnny the day before the semi-final, having trained for the, or the quarter-final, you know, having trained with the team, that's a, a, an added knock-on, uh, you know, ill effect to the team. So, um, listen, you know, we just didn't deal with the, you know, the issues that you know, the likes of Wales did and other teams have. You look at New Zealand, they won a World Cup with their fifth uh, out half in 2011 who was off drinking beer and fly fishing. <laughs> so <laughs> it shows you know, their strength and depth. They have it. Unfortunately, we don't quite have that calibre yet, but we're building it. Um, we have lost Paul O'Connell from international rugby. Toulon may have lost him for the rest of this season, which is unbelievable. But I think it's really going to hurt people at home, the fact that Felix <clears throat> Jones has had to retire at a crucial part of his career, the Munster fullback is a fine player, Brian, and the neck injuries ended it for him. Yeah, it has. You know, he's, he's a very, very popular guy down in Munster. You know, it, it's not often that a Leinster man is accepted with open arms down in, in Munster, and he's really developed to be a key um, leader in their team as well. Um, you know, off the, off the back of probably seven or eight years down there. Um, and losing Paul O'Connell, losing him, losing Tommy O'Donnell before the World Cup, Pino Mahoney, the, the captain, they're big leaders again. So Munster will have to circle the wagons for Europe. Um, they've got a great history and tradition in Europe. You know, so they'll try and have that galvanise them. Uh, and you guys are going to have to step up to the plate. I think we have to start by talking about Quinn's victory um, against Bath, a really big win for them and um, a good performance by the pack. They really look in the part now. You've got Hall and Jones who have made a massive difference and they look more a, a more complete side, don't they, Go. Yeah, no, absolutely. You mentioned Adam Jones, obviously Hall coming in to just adding a bit of ballast up front, but disappointing, you know, end to last season, finishing eighth. I think that's the lowest we've finished for a long time. So it's great to see the way the guys have responded this season. Two out of three, they narrowly lost against Leicester last week, but what a result against Bath. Massive for them. Mm. Uh, Northampton Saints, 
table toppers last season have won just one of their opening three games. What is going on there, Mike? I don't know. You didn't expect to see it come. You thought last year they tailed off a little bit. They started to look tired towards the end of last year, but they just haven't really found anything. You know, I watched the, um, the Worcester game and you think going down there, they're going to comfortably come away and, uh, and do what they normally do, just physically dominate a team, but they didn't do that. And, and you know that if, they don't, if they're not getting on top of teams at set-piece time, you know, getting on top of the opposition forwards, you always think they might struggle, but I don't think they struggle as much as they are at the moment. If I had the energy, I'd talk about sales driving more, but <laughs> I'd talk about that it twice in a day, but not at my age. Um, I do want to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about Jimmy Gopperth. Uh, you know him well from the Leinster days, and there was a big ooh in the crowd here when we showed that highlight. What's your take on this? Because he has got a hearing now. Was they? They say it looks like he used a, well, kind of a we punch situation. We disagree about this, don't we? You yeah. The two angles look a little different. Yeah. That one, not so bad. But if you look at the, at the, at the behind shot, you know, it just looks as though he takes Matthew Tate clean out. <laughs> it's, it's, he's looking for the ball in his hand, and it's not there, Jimmy, I'm afraid. So, you know, he says, it, he says afterwards, you know, I was going for the ball, mate. It did cradle his arms there, I think, because he thought Matthew's head was going to fall. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, he's not a malicious bloke. That was just a little bit reckless. Um, should yeah. we talk a little bit about Newcastle and Exeter then? Because things aren't yes. looking too good for Newcastle at the moment, but I know we're only in round three. Um, but Exeter, they're really looking the part this season. And we spoke about Harlequins looking the more complete team. Exeter certainly are, Mike, aren't they? Uh, it, they've been great for the last two years. I think the way they've just developed their game. And you know, when they first came into the Premiership, they used away games to throw, out, throw the ball around and have a go, but make sure they win the home games. And they've just built from there. And now they've found a brand of rugby. They've also got the players coming in. They've recruited really well. They've brought the young players up. And they're just are good to watch. You would want to watch them every week. Yeah. And Hugo, you're going to let us know how um, we can help vote for October Player of the Month? Yes, absolutely. You guys at home can get to have your say on the Premiership Rugby Player of the Month for October. Go to btsport.com forward slash player of the month for more details and we'll exclusively be revealing the winner on next week's Rugby Tonight. Uh, what's your team, Harry? Um, my local team are Harlequins. I live quite near, so uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, actually, going down on Friday to watch the games. Good stuff. Yeah, I'll yeah. see you That's there. Good. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back again next week for more rugby insight and analysis. See you then. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.